If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. Where the story goes, we follow. Chris Smith on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Hey, good to have your company. We're going to get to Mark Latham in just a short moment, but uh, I did want to mention uh, that Thanksgiving giving has been copying a bit of a battering in the last 24 hours, would you believe? Now, I'm sure this won't come as any surprise to Americans who each and every year seem to see more people wanting to wreck what has been such a incredible tradition for the, those in the United States. Well, several online publications and social media users are urging Americans to reconsider the Thanksgiving holiday while alleging the holiday is a symbol of colonisation and racism. Let's drop the lie of Thanksgiving and begin a truths-giving. A social media post from The Nation read this week that linked to an article with the headline, Should America Keep Celebrating Thanksgiving? In the article, author Sean Sherman, who's a sad sod, argues that Americans should decolonize Thanksgiving. For many Americans, the image of Thanksgiving is one of supposed unity. Well, for most, the gathering of pilgrims and Indians in a harmonious feast. Sherman um, said and explained, but this version obscures the harsh truth, one steeped in colonization, uh, violence and misrepresentation. By exploring the Indigenous perspective on Thanksgiving, we can only discern some of the nuances of decolonization, but gain a deeper understanding of American history. Um, I don't know what you think about that. I'm sure you don't think too much of it, and I'm sure you're far more intent and focused on beginning your Thanksgiving festivities, given the fact that it's just turned midnight on the east coast of the United States. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Let's ignore Mr. Sherman and his sad sack kind of comments. Uh, I would have thought no matter what America looked like centuries ago, where America is heading now is more important than anything. And if Thanksgiving brings people together to thank what they have for the history of the country, Bring it on, I say. It's a positive. To bring families together is a positive. To stop working for a couple of days is a positive. To reset uh, for the rest of the what's left of the year is a good thing. So, Mr. Sherman, just bugger off, will you? Leave us all alone. Leave us alone completely. I don't think I'll read anything that wants to bag Thanksgiving as Thanksgiving begins in America right now. This is TNT Radio. Be a part of the conversation. I want representation I can trust. Have your say. Biden isn't doing enough. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Yes, for those who are only listening to us right now on TNTradio.live, well, you can watch us. We are streaming our video on Rumble, on Odyssey, on Facebook, on Twitter, otherwise known as X, and also on a number of other streaming platforms that you can gravitate to, including YouTube, all right? So you've got plenty of reasons to look. As a matter of fact, Mark Latham, MLC, is very visual right now. He's the former mayor of Liverpool in Sydney, prime ministerial staffer, advisor to a premier, federal opposition leader, independent MP now in the upper house of the New South Wales Parliament. Mark Latham, you're looking very spivvy there. It's Parliament must be sitting, is it? They're all dressed up, uh... Those who dressed up won Waterloo, Chris, so we're uh, fighting on every front. Yeah, good. So this net zero um, idealism 
has passed the New South Wales Parliament. I presume the government has a stated plan in this bill, have they, as to what will be achieved, uh, how much it'll cost taxpayers, etc.? No, not at all. It's one of the most bizarre bits of legislation you'll ever see. Tony Abbott recently said that net zero and climate change change actions like a cult. And it's largely true when you see what the state government here has done about net zero. This is the biggest transformation of the New South Wales economy in our lifetime. And the government can't tell us what it will achieve in terms of global temperatures and climate, how much it will cost, or how much land space it will use around the state of New South Wales. It's completely a stab in the dark. It's along the lines of, well, we need to do something about climate. The planet is ending. We've got global boiling. New South Wales needs to chip in. And um, I've uh, repeatedly asked the Energy and Climate Change Minister, Penny Sharp, well, you're going to spend uh, what will be a lot of money and upturn the um, economy, uh, getting rid of fossil fuel energy and, and, and stop the burning of carbon. You must be able to tell us what the New South Wales contribution, and we've only got 0.4% of global emissions, what will that mean in terms of reducing global surface temperatures and changing the world's climate? Oh, good question. And, and she can't answer that. Robert Borzak from the Shooters Party asked her yesterday along similar lines, and she said, well, I'll have a red-hot go to try and work it out. Well, why <laughs> are you legislating when you don't know what it's going to achieve? <laughs> Similarly, I've asked Daniel Mookie, the Treasurer, have you done any modelling? about the cost of this. And he said, oh, no, we're going to do that in two years' time in the intergenerational oh. report. There's a report out of Melbourne University using their modelling and along with Queensland and Princeton universities to say that the cost around Australia of going to net zero is $18 trillion. Yeah. That's a lot of zeros. $18 trillion, which is 12 times our national GDP at the moment. So the cost in New South Wales is at least $6 trillion, but the Treasurer doesn't know that. And on top of that, when you look at the maps, uh, if you take out uh, residential land, industrial land, uh, inaccessible land, ecosystem land, national parks, indigenous land in New South Wales, you haven't got a lot of land left in which to uh, use these land intensive um, uh, solar farms and wind farms and the big transmission corridors. So it's a government completely flying blind yeah. as to what it can achieve, what it will cost, and what does it mean in terms of land use and also land use conflict. So you've never seen a bill that has less intellectual and research rigour and just goes along with the cult-like uh, cult -like thinking of other countries are doing something about climate change, the lefties say we should do it, New South Wales should fall into line. The reality is the big actions in China, they have 27% of global emissions compared to our 0.4%. In China, they're building two new coal-fired power stations every week uh, one of the lefties here in the New South Wales Parliament, I, I won't name that person, said to me, look, if you gave every person in China a new fridge, increasing their energy efficiency, we could burn coal in New South Wales forever. Mm -hmm. So the lefties, even in their private moments, acknowledge net zero is bunkum, and yeah. the government, quite frankly, has got no idea what it's doing. And in decades to come, Mark, we will look back on this terribly ignorant period as the most destructive thing that has ever happened to Australia, where we spent our trillions, our trillions, to get reduced living standards, to not enable the next generation to own property, all for absolutely no change in the temperature of the planet, all for virtue signalling. What a shocking suicide note that is. Absolutely. The former chief scientist in Australia, Alan Finkel, wrote a quarterly essay saying that Australia getting rid of its 1.3% uh, global emissions will have no tangible impact 
on surface temperatures or global climate. So New South Wales obviously doing uh, even less than that. Uh, Penny Sharp, the minister here, came back and quoted Finkel saying, oh, it's like democracy. What if uh, everyone decided not to vote? Well, democracy is a totally different system where you've got one vote, one value, and every vote is equal. In climate change action, China, 27% of global emissions, the United States, 14%, India, 7%. They completely overshadow yeah. the amounts that we're talking about in Australia. Why would you worry in Australia with 1.3% uh, if China's got 27% and they're heading in the opposite direction? We are being played as mugs. Well, mugs, mugs, totally. I'm so glad that a few politicians like yourself are still telling the truth about this. Now, you've been very active in the parliament this week, putting forward a motion condemning threats of violence, even murder, against the senior transport of New South Wales executive Rochelle Hicks, who worked on the Coffs Harbour bypass. Most of my Australian listeners would know the story. But Labor and the Pinky Greens watered down your motion. Hang on a second. This is a serious, serious threat of death against a female bureaucrat that should have been taken seriously. Yeah, it's unbelievable. All that rhetoric about female safety and gender equality from Labor and the Greens, it rings hollow when you get a real-life circumstance where Rochelle Hicks, a senior executive in transport for New South Wales, managing this multi-billion dollar Coffs Harbour bypass road project, they hired a um, Indigenous advisor, look at heritage issues, you know, the normal stuff, and uh, that heritage uh, advisor, Indigenous, has allegedly, and, you know, the evidence uh, written up in the Australian newspaper looks very strong, allegedly uh, threatened to kill Rochelle Hicks, bash in her face and called her a white C-U-N-T. Now, if it was a white man who did any of that, it'd be a oh. nanosecond before he's out the door, right out the door. But this just shows the divisive, futile nature of identity politics, where if you're Indigenous, apparently, you're a protected species, you get a leave pass, you can do whatever you like. Is that why they've gone and soft, do you think? Sorry? Is that why they've gone soft? Yeah, 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 absolutely. They said that. They couldn't get rid of him because he was a, a cultural advisor. Oh. And getting rid of an Indigenous person would bring a political firestorm onto the project, oh. which was undesirable. So Transport for New South Wales swallowed the hemlock of identity politics and basically threw safety for a woman out the window. Rochelle Hicks has lost her job. She has lived for decades in Coffs Harbour, feeling unsafe that she might run into this bloke in the street of Coffs Harbour, she's moved out of town and uprooted a young family, kids going to a different school, to get away from the terror of these threats. Awful. It's an horrendous circumstance. I moved a motion along straightforward lines to condemn the government and transport for New South Wales, and I was sacking this guy immediately and giving Rochelle Hicks some comfort that the parliament uh, was sympathetic to her cause and apologised, and they watered it down to say, oh, it's really just allegations and, and, and merely oh. concerning. And the Greens are oh, such hypocrites. They walk around Parliament House saying it's dangerous if they have to get in the lift or share the corridor with people like me. Here's a real-life example of a senior public servant female being threatened with death, physical violence, and called an horrendous racist name. And the Greens basically said, oh, well, we'll just uh, water that down and it doesn't really matter. So it's an appalling double standard. You can't take these people uh, at face value. All their rhetoric is so hollow and so hypocritical. Spot on. By the way, just rewind the tape a little bit. There are green members of the parliament who won't get in into a lift with you. They say it's dangerous. I, I, I get in the corner. Imagine how I feel being sharing the lift with them, but I'm not a snowflake. I don't complain about it. But I, it's such an artificial environment where they say this is a, you know, New South Wales Parliament is one of the safest, most placid workplaces I've ever seen. 
and the security guards everywhere, you know, um, the cameras and whatnot. And the Greens say it's a dangerous workplace because they've got to share the lift and the co- and the, the corridors with um, uh, MPs they don't like. Well, it cuts both ways, but I'm not complaining. But when they then don't vote in, in full sympathy for the circumstances of Rochelle Hicks, it just shows it's all about themselves. Ultimately, for the Greens, gender issues are selfish. It's all about them instead of women like Ms Hicks who've uh, handled and been treated to the most horrendous threats and, 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 and nothing done about it until it got into the Australian newspaper. It's all of their um, organic deodorant that I would find put off. <laughs> I, I couldn't get into the well, list. Some other had... things I won't go into. <laughs> let's not. Let's not. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about a heap more, including these detainees, uh, now that they're released, having been sprung, growing marijuana in their room. What a classic. We'll come back with Mark Latham, MLC in the New South Wales Parliament, right after this break on TNT Radio. TNT Radio's James Freeman. I think at this point now, I'm disgusted that the UK has not called for an immediate ceasefire. The British government is usually quick to condemn many countries around the world breaking international law. So what is different here? Yes, what Hamas did was terrible. And yes, it needs to be addressed. But whatever Hamas did does not justify the deliberate bombing of civilians because no one can say that it's not deliberate. You can't merely say that civilian deaths in their thousands are acceptable collateral damage. You can never say that, not with these numbers. It is deliberate what is going on. I'm seeing numbers of around 10,000 dead now, including 4,000 children. And that was two days ago those numbers came in. Innocents in all of this, um, they've never voted for this and they have no say whatsoever in any of it. 3,000 people were killed in the 9-11 attacks in the US. And the world looked on in horror. And yet 4,000 children have been killed by Israeli bombs. And too many dismiss this, saying that Israel has the right to defend itself. James Freeman on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. thelightpaper.co.uk So many people who had no history of heart illnesses have got it now, or blood clotting after the COVID-19 vaccination. Punish those who hurt people with COVID madness, lighting the fuse for freedom. TNT Radio. It is TNT Radio. Thank you so much for being with us on a very big week as we turn the radio station visual and start streaming video. And I noticed that Chris has sent us a message on the chat box, which you can participate in on tntradio.live. And Chris says, I'm watching on Rumble. It's bloody great. I'm glad. Good on you, Chris. Uh, One here from Lozzie. Lozzie says, I can now see you, Chris. You're much better looking than I thought. What did you think I looked like, Lozzie? Some sort of scary monster. No, 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 not scary monster. Uh, in terms of kids owning property, which is what we discussed a short time ago, uh, Pelly says, the only way our kids will ever own a house is if they change the building rules and allow us to extend our existing homes upward so they can build a floor level 
to live in. That would be the case for many, many people. All right, Mark Latham, still on hostile threats, and we've seen a wave of anti-Semitic comments flooding social media as a result of the conflict in Gaza. We do have laws against this. Um, Choose one of three. Do we censor these comments? Do we ignore these comments? Or do we put the pressure on our police to do something about these comments? Well, I think the main thing for social media, Chris, is to treat people like adults. And most adults realise that uh, a lot of these trolls are not real um, human beings who identify themselves. They're sort of just pseudonyms that are there to cause trouble. Yeah. Uh, You discount down social media for that reason. A platform like Twitter is just uh, political hand-to-hand combat. So automatically, you know, there'll be, you know, harsh comments uh, flying in both directions. So I don't think the general public look at social media as um, something that's a reliable, independent, accurate source of information. Not at all. You're right. It's discounted down for all those reasons. So you don't need censorship. And if there are people identified who've said things that break the law in terms of these vilification, racial vilification laws around the country, well, of course the police should take action and they should enforce the rule of law. But I wouldn't overreact to it. Mm. I'm more worried about some of the provocative things that happen on the street in real life, not on the virtual world of social media, that these uh, Palestinian supporters have these convoys from Western Sydney riding into the suburbs of uh, Eastern Sydney where the Jewish community is located or the horrendous scenes we saw in Caulfield outside a synagogue in Melbourne. So they're the things that worry me. They're the things that would cause real damage rather than uh, inflating or conflating the significance of social media. And the pro-Palestinian supporters, once they resort to violence, which they have on a couple of occasions, once they resort to making mention of the Holocaust and other anti-Semitic statements, they just lose support. They lose sympathy. Uh, They've got a cause to fight for. Stick to your cause and stop taking it into those vile hate, uh, um, you know, echo chambers, which which do nothing for your cause. Well, absolutely. In in in. The modern history of humankind, the worst thing that ever happened was the Holocaust. You know, it, it, it's a deplorable matter beyond description that yeah. a major nation like Germany under Hitler engaged in genocide. Yeah. And to echo any of that language or sentiment and deny Israel a homeland, uh, deny the Jewish people a homeland, is just plain wrong. So, you know, the big question in the Middle East is always, why don't the Arab states contribute to a two-state solution? Why don't they contribute some land, some effort and some money to secure Israel, but also secure borders for a Palestinian state? The truth is a lot of those Arab states need Israel because they say to their local population, go and hate uh, Israel, go and hate the Jews rather than hating your own government. So it's a political tactic there by a lot of the Arab states in the Middle East. And that's why these problems have become so intractable. That's interesting. That's interesting. Gee, the federal government has been badly caught out over the release of these detainees. Um, the minister yesterday couldn't tell Carl Stefanovic on nine whether the pedophiles released uh, even had an electric, uh, electronic ankle bracelet or not, which was just appalling. Now we hear today that some of the detainees were growing dope in their rooms. Their behaviour just gets worse. We've got a Uh, a very left-wing Chief Justice in the High Court who no doubt springs some similar doozies in the years ahead. It's it's a terrible scenario, and we know what will happen out of this. We know that there will be crime committed, and we'll all look at each other and say, I wonder why. 
Well, the crimes won't be committed next door to the uh, Chief Justice or the Minister uh, or in their street. It'll be committed much further out in suburban and regional Australia. So that's yeah. the shame of it. I mean, all the news on this gets worse. It's a, 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 in a in, by day by day, it, it grows to be a worse reflection on the decision of the High Court. Yep. And we had a referendum recently about the voice, which was a complete waste of money and futile. Maybe the better question was, can the federal government have the power to indefinitely detain, detain refugees who've broken the law, pedophiles, murderers and rapists who belong in detention behind bars uh, indefinitely? And I think resoundingly, the Australian people would have said yes, and that would override the High Court decision. Yeah. So we missed the boat on that. But the High Court stands condemned, and unfortunately, we're running bigger risks on the streets of lawlessness and damage being done by people who should be behind bars. The minister can't say where the pedophiles have got uh, electronic bracelets. Well, that's not very reassuring. The government needs to get its act together. Yeah, you're not wrong. Now, the new Reserve Bank governor has twigged to what's happening with the Australian economy and why our inflation numbers are going against the trend in both the UK and the United States. Michelle Bullock says inflation is homegrown. So whose fault's that, Mark? Well, it's the fault of the Reserve Bank that they uh, didn't get in early to nip the inflation uh, rocket uh, in the bud uh, and to get on top of it. Everyone knew that COVID was going to cause supply chain blockages and labour shortages. So they needed to get in earlier instead of this long run of interest rate rises. Now they're saying, oh, well, COVID's passed. These aren't international factors like the war in Ukraine. There's too much consumer demand in Australia. Well, I'm not too sure that is the case. I think the 13 interest rate rises have uh, knocked consumer demand on the head, yeah. starting to hurt the housing sector in particular. So uh, Michelle Bullock needs to be right, otherwise she'll be repeating the horrendous mistakes in monetary policy of her predecessor at a huge cost to middle Australia. Yeah, she needs to be very careful, all right. Finally, uh, to the case that just keeps on giving, Bruce Learman's defamation action against Channel 10 over the accusation that Learman was a rapist. More evidence from Bruce today, and Channel 10 has employed a lip reader to prove what is basically a truth defence. So in many ways, this bloke is on trial again, isn't he? Yeah, it's a soap opera, unfortunately, but a lip reader to what? Look at the footage of Lerman and Brittany Higgins entering the security zone and going down the corridor on the Senate side of the Australian Parliament two o'clock on a Saturday morning. Uh, Brittany Higgins had the shoes off and was sort of smiling and they looked like, you know, a bit of humour uh, after their night out. So I don't know what the lip reader does. Well, what's next? They bring in a clairvoyant or a tarot card reader to <laughs> try and sort out what's going on. It just seems a bit ridiculous. And the lip reader just adds to the whole theatre of it and the unfortunate soap opera of two individuals where ultimately only those two and, and, and one of them was more sober than the other will know the actual truth of what happened. Yeah, exactly. Now, you and I have discussed the World Cup victory by Australia. Let's do it once again on air this time. What a colossal, gutsy win. Yeah, well, the theory was if you put India under pressure, they'd crack. I, I'm not too sure that was the case. Australia just outplayed them. Mm. It wasn't a question of, of, of pressure. Australia had better tactics. People thought Cummins would win the toss and bat. He bowled, thinking that at night the dew would subdue the, the, the pitch, soften it up. That happened, and, and Travis Head was just extraordinary. That catch oh. to get rid of Rohit Sharma, oh. backwards over his shoulder, the catch from heaven, and then he batted away um, to score a century in a World Cup final is is, is 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 a career highlight for him. So in the end, Australia just peaked at the right time. We lost the first two games, won nine in a row, 
the Indians won uh, what eleven in a row and then lost. So we just outplayed them. You know that that's what sport comes down to. So you'd have to say Australia got their timing right, shocked the world, uh, shocked us to some extent, and 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 good on them. It's a magnificent national sporting achievement. I know the Indian, uh, you know, fan base. I know Indian cricket supporters are avid. They're so one-eyed. They all wear Virat Kohli shirts and all that sort of stuff. But I, I didn't think they did themselves any favours by exiting the stadium very quickly, by not applauding when Head got his got his century. It was, I thought, bad sportsmanship by the crowd. Yeah, they were in a state of shock. They thought it would be a cakewalk that their team had just roll over Australia as they had in the preceding 11 matches. But, Chris, it gets worse than that. There's an Indian fan who killed himself over the result. I mean, you know, in, in Pakistan... If their team loses, they go burn the house down. In India, uh, a sporting result that went the wrong way, uh, some young fella uh, killed himself. So it's a fanaticism that, you know, is not very healthy at that level, obviously. It's tragic. Um, But they're in a state of shock and shock people respond in different ways. They got out of the stadium, probably in a state of disbelief. They just couldn't believe what they'd seen. Yeah, that's very true. Neither could we. Bad bad luck. We won. Bad luck. Winners can laugh. Yeah, they can have a committee meeting. Thank you, mate. Much appreciated. I'll let you get back to the real stuff of uh, having your say in the Parliament of uh, New South Wales. Thank you. A pleasure. Thanks, Chris. Good on you. Mark Latham, MLC, independent member in the upper house of New South Wales. He'll duck straight into the house because he's got serious business to do, but we appreciate the fact that he takes time off for you um, and to run through some of the big stories making news both down under and in part around the world. Yeah, I've got to go to a break. We're coming up to news right now. And then after that, we'll talk about this petition which is circulating to make sure that the Australian government doesn't get sucked in to a cashless society. We don't want it. We don't need it. It's discriminatory. But more importantly, when it comes to control, it's dangerous. We'll talk about that right after the break on TNT Radio. Station is there. Station. Ladies and gentlemen, TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Despite growing concerns, the Australian government has defended its decision to grant visas to more than 800 Palestinians fleeing the war in Gaza. Pyongyang has ripped up a 2018 deal with South Korea, which was designed to reduce military tensions. And India and Russia have announced they are holding joint naval drills aimed at countering global threats and ensuring the safety of ships moving through the Asia-Pacific region. We're the pinup boys and poster girls for free speech. We just don't look as impressive as Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse. Yeah. 24-7, 365, we never stop sifting fact from fiction, misinformation from the truth. From government overreach to the latest on mandates, big tech censorship to propaganda gone mad. Listen to TNT Radio and get the news and views direct from our expert presenters and commentators anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk, this is TNT Radio. Well, a petition calling for a guarantee of cash and banking services in Australia has received more than 150,000 signatures since its launch in late March by Jason Bryce from Cash Welcome. The goal is to reach 200,000 signatures. The mission is simple, urge the Australian government to follow the UK, Europe, Sweden 
and the United States and guarantee the future of cash. Now, Jason Bryce is a Melbourne-based journalist specialising in business, banking, finance, and superannuation. He's written for many publications, including Banking Day, the Bible of the Australian banking industry. He joins us now from Melbourne. Jason Bryce, welcome back to TNT Radio. How are you going? I'm doing very well. Gee, it's good that someone has stood up on this issue. We've covered it many times on this program through 2023. What's the signature total, by the way? Chris, I think we're way over 150 now, so it's going up by about a thousand a day. So I'm really happy about that. I'm blown away. And how do my how do my members of my audience go and sign the petition? So change.org forward slash banking and cash guarantee. And look, we're just asking for what's happening in other countries, which is either cash is guaranteed, we can access cash in our local community, and or we can use cash to buy food and essential groceries at supermarkets. Uh, We're not asking for every single boutique little retailer to accept cash, but for essential items, food and groceries, we should be able to pay with cash. We're definitely being herded into a cashless society. Uh, It's getting ridiculous. And this week, we're learning that ANZ Bank uh, in particular, committed to just forcing people to not use cash and all their bank branches are going to be service centres. Uh, you're not going to be able to deal in cash at all. You're going to have to pay to get cash and you're going to have to hand over a whole heap of information. So this is not being consumer-led. This is being forced on us by financial institutions. Uh, There's a profit motive at play. They make a lot of money from our information. And of course, they make a lot of money uh, on fees. And if there's no cash there, no surcharge free option, what is stopping the uh, merchant service deals just getting out of control? Already small business are complaining. Uh, Banks are not rolling out least cost routing very quickly at all. So This is a giant money pot for the big banks. And uh, we're just saying, look, it's become obvious now our economy is more vulnerable when cash isn't in circulation. Uh, A lot of us got caught out on the uh, 8th of November uh, with the uh, Optus outage, of course, but it happens all the time. Uh, On the day that Woolies limited cash out to $200 with a purchase, down from $500 with or without a purchase. They had to put handwritten notes on all the terminals, cash only, FPOS down. So they're hurting us into a system, but they can't make it reliable. They can't make it private and uh, they can't make it inclusive of everybody. So look, blown away by the petition. It's been fantastic. I'm writing to all the three inquiries now. the, there's a Senate inquiry into rural and regional bank branch closures. Uh, there's a obviously modernising payment system consultation process that the Treasurer has announced. And there's this new Optus network outage inquiry. And uh, I think the Optus network outage inquiry is still open. So I'd urge people to have a look at that and catch up with what's going on. And we're just saying to all these three inquiries, you know, The ball now is in the court of the politicians. Other countries are doing this and it's time for our politicians to stand up and mandate cash acceptance uh, and the ability 
uh, to access cash in our local community. In the UK, uh, every citizen has an ATM within 5Ks, three miles of their front door. Well, that's the uh, rule, isn't it? That's the law. And the Netherlands, the same, 5Ks, and the banks have got together to make sure it happens. Uh, of course, plenty of people in the Netherlands have more than one ATM within 5Ks, but you have to be able to access cash within 5Ks of where you live. And, and we retailers need something in like Europe, that here. What about retailers in Europe too? Like, Jason, there are laws in Europe that make sure that they can do a transaction using cash. Yes, it's part of the European Union and uh, other... Uh, most people in Australia think that's our right. We think 70% uh, of us, according to our survey of 7,000 Australians, 70% of Australians believe this is our legal tender. It's yep. written on the note. Uh, so they can't understand why they can't, why retailers are allowed not to accept cash. So the law needs to be clarified. It is the law in Europe and some countries in Europe are going even further to protect their citizens' rights to cash. It's rolling through the US. There's a bill before Congress. Cities and states are going ahead of Congress. And uh, this is really a bipartisan thing in the US too. So that's uh, interesting. Uh, it's about inclusion in the US uh, and just making sure that everybody is included in the economy. Um, let, let me, people may not know this, people may not know this, but it's true. We're witnessing the gradual closure of bank branches and ATMs like never before. And when you talk about this cashless society, there are proposed amendments on the political table right now. People don't know how close we're coming. Uh, so 424 bank branches gone in 12 months, 718 bank-owned ATMs gone. And now nice. we hear this whistleblower from ANZ uh, exposing the agenda and how that they how they have not been upfront with their own customers about what they are trying to do. They're forced, they're lying to customers and saying, oh, there's an outage, no teleservice, you have to use the ATM. Uh, a ANZ is leading the cashless charge and we're finding out about it, not because they've made a statement to the ASX, no. but because a whistleblower yep. has put their own career on the line yep. and exposed what his own bank is doing. I I'm totally on your side on this. And, you know, I think about what nations could do if, for instance, there's a possible conflict, a conflict where you know, diplomacy hasn't worked and there's a threat of violence or military action, all of a sudden our internet would go down in a flash. That is the way modern wars work now. The internet would go down, which means you and I could not get access to our money. Well, we're more vulnerable because cash is not in general circulation. We're yeah. vulnerable to what you're talking about. We're vulnerable to natural disasters. Yep. floods, fires, all the rest of it, and we're vulnerable to hackers and scammers. Uh, so it's kind of like the criminals have moved online, the bad actors, the bad faith actors, uh, the cops on the beat, uh, the regulators have been slow to catch up with this transition of organised crime and bad faith actors to online and uh, cryptocurrencies in particular. Yeah. So we, the legitimate consumers 
who trust and rely on cash have been left holding, uh, yeah, the note that it's hard sometimes to use. Um, and the more they put us online, Jason, the more they'll charge because you think about the fees that we pay now to move our money around and every time that we tap with our credit card, we cop a fee as well. This only provides more opportunity to tax us. So I think uh, there's so many players now clipping the ticket on the way through. Yeah. So uh, Apple obviously has forced their way in uh, with Apple Pay and Google Pay. They're clipping the ticket through charging the banks. Uh, the banks obviously are charging fees to us and to the merchant. And the card schemes are in there too. Uh, so the all these companies, all these businesses, uh, many of them multinational, their share price is rising. And there's a reason for that because $6 billion is sucked out of the Australian economy each year just on those tap and go fees. So wow. I estimate just from looking at ABS numbers on household expenditure, if you're an average household, you're tapping away over $1,000 a year just on the fees uh, that increasingly are difficult to work out because they're on the little screen now. You don't have to have a big sign saying what your fee is. And of course, if cash disappears, there's nothing setting a competitive price uh, uh, point there. So the fees will go up when there's no surcharge fee option. Yeah. Can I just say, uh, this is the reaction from some of my listeners on the chat box on TNTradio.live. Tony says, cash is king. Going cashless is just another form of taxation by charging us fees and surcharges to use cards. It's another rort ripping off the consumer. Uh, one here from Lozzie, totalitarianism coming to Australia. They want to control what we spend our money on, how much and what. I use cash everywhere I go. Deborah says, my local St George Bank is oh, merging yeah. with Westpac and a local kitchen store only accepts card payment. I have seen many people walk out without their purchase. You know, for a lot of older people in this country and for a lot of older people around the world, that is the way they did their business. They held and valued their cash. It's discriminatory. It is. And you get asked at the supermarket, don't you? Are you yeah. paying with cash or are you paying with card? If you pay with cash, go to the back of the line. If, you get, if you're paying with card, skip straight to a terminal. Yeah. yeah so they're hurting us. It's not yeah. consumer-led. No. There's a profit motive involved. And, of course, we don't want to go down the road of China where you need 550 social credit points to book an airline ticket or uh, book a train ticket, right? And those social credit points come from your transaction history in part. There's a whole lot of other things involved. that, uh, And the two big payment systems in China are linked directly to the social credit system. So that's what we don't want. We want a guarantee of... Cash is private, and this is possibly the most important thing about it. Uh, there's plenty of legitimate reasons why people have a right to their privacy, and people need cash if they're in a difficult situation and they've got to get out of it, right? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to get the message out these days. We all need cash just in our pocket, just in case. Yeah. You know, people going out for the night, kids, you know, yeah. please. Just take, put a 20 or a 50 in your pocket. You don't know if your phone battery is going to go flat. 
you don't know who's going to offer you a lift home because you don't have any whatever so just you know safe have cash in your pocket you won't get stranded by an outage uh, and you're in control you're in control you can buy whatever you like yeah can i just ask this um one last question are you lobbying individual mps in canberra and getting support uh so some people are i think i have a list of mps that i'm kind of targeting and they're basically the mps that are on these three inquiries and the treasurer and the shadows and there's a few supportive people uh i think generally we've just got to push the line that this is popular that nobody wants to lose cash if i buy a bottle of water i don't want my taps turned off if no. i tap my card a few times you know it's convenient we all do it that doesn't mean i want my cash turned off yeah you know i have rights it's legal tender you know nana was right nana was right okay and kids are starting to um discover you know that the billion views on TikTok for 100 envelope challenge there's always a new challenge on TikTok. so this is save five thousand using cash in 100 days uh and people they're just videoing themselves saving money using cash yeah, and there's uh uh you know so young people are working it out and the uh the retailer i met last tuesday wednesday uh yeah last uh, after the optus outage he said look young people you know school kids uni students they're the ones using cash and the old people the people in the middle not so much but it's the young and the old yeah. uh, and of course it, you know we all want cash every now and then even if we don't want it every day exactly you've got to leave it there good luck with your petition so glad that it's going well let's get to two hundred thousand very quickly um yes, and once again just repeat for my audience who may not have written it down or remembered it how do they gravitate to the petition yeah so it's change.org banking and cash guarantee banking and cash guarantee and you'll find it great mate thank you very much for your time thank you all the very best from cash welcome jason bryce get on and sign that petition why do they have to change these things you can tell why they want to change it so they can get their hands on some of it because if they get their hands on a little bit of a lot well what happens they make a lot of money they don't need to show that they need to that they, they're taking a lot from you a few cents here a few cents there it means billions to a corporation that can access many many accounts that's what it's all about it's a money grab pushed by the world economic forum let's just get rid of it please just leave it right where it is it's just fine we've got a choice of doing our business online or using cash and that is the way it should be let's take a break plenty more to come on the program including your calls if you want to uh, have something to say there's plenty on the agenda already from the united states and canada why don't you dial one triple eight two zero one six four two five from the UK zero double three double zero two four one zero two six and from Australia or New Zealand one eight hundred six seven zero three one zero. This is TNT Radio. Life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome. Pre-diabetes does. One in three adults has pre-diabetes, but with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. And you can change the outcome. 
Take the one-minute pre-diabetes risk test today. Go to doihaveprediabetes.org. I'm Naheem Hines, professional football player and proud supporter of the Muscular Dystrophy Association. My mom was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy when I was 14, and I watched her struggle. But MDA helped her get the best treatments and care, and they also help kids like my buddy Ethan. My name is Ethan, and I'm 12 years old. Thanks to the Muscular Dystrophy Association and people like you, I have more hope than ever before. From day one, they've treated me like family at my local care center. MDA is the only one that funds over 150 care centers across the U.S. to help provide state-of-the-art care for adults and kids like me. For over 70 years, MDA has been transforming the lives of people living with muscular dystrophy, ALS, and other related neuromuscular diseases. They fund the research for breakthrough treatments, care, and cures. And MDA provides support to thousands of families like mine and Ethan's in communities like yours. Thanks to MDA, kids and adults can live life to its fullest. Join us and learn more at mda.org today. Focused on the facts. Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. A lot of people writing on the chat box, use cash, change the way you move your money. Use cash and lots of it to stop them doing what they're planning to do. Now, I just wanted to update you on a story involving Clive Palmer, which I think is very, very interesting. Now, Clive Palmer has had a proposal in the works for some time now to create a new carbon-neutral coal-fired power station. Now, I don't know the ins and outs of this, nor do I understand scientifically how carbon-neutral this is, but I can tell you that this proposal has been refused an environmental license amid concerns it would become one of the top 100 green gas greenhouse gas emitters in Australia if given the green light. Mr. Palmer's company, Waratah Coal, is seeking to build a $3.5 billion, 1,400 megawatt low emissions power station, low emissions. You see, this is the problem with green absolutism. They've got to go from Zero to hero all of a sudden. So they've got to go from coal-fired power stations straight into renewables, no transition. We just get rid of gas, despite the fact that gas will give you a greatly reduced amount of CO2 if you think CO2 is a baddie. And the same as these low-emissions, high-efficient coal-fired power stations. This is what the Chinese are building. So he's got one. He's got to put it on a um, cattle property near the central western Australian town of Alpha. The project is still being assessed by Queensland Deputy Premier Stephen Miles. Good luck with him. But two weeks ago, the state's Environment Department rejected the Environmental Authority application, saying the proposal would contribute to the impacts of climate change. Sometimes you've got to weigh up this stuff. How important is keeping the lights on? How important is keeping people cool and keeping people warm? How important is keeping manufacturing operating? for an infinitesimal impact on climate change. Because if we, as the previous chief scientist said in Australia, annihilated all CO2 emissions right now, tomorrow, we make an infinitesimal difference to the temperature of the planet. So what's the big deal with this? The project is still being assessed. Now, this environment department said, Approving the project would be considered inequitable in relation to the impacts to future generations. God, why didn't they put a sign? Get the get the chief scientist, the former chief scientist, Alan Finkel, in there to tell them what that means. It means bugger all. 
Absolute bugger all. Well, so many tech gurus called him the superstar of artificial intelligence. And what has happened to former OpenAI CEO Sam Altman has only underlined his value. In a bizarre turn of events, Altman will return as boss just days after he was fired from the company he co-founded. How funny. Alex Zaharoff Royt from techadvice.life has the story. Alex, good to have you back on. Tell us how and why that happened. Look, there are lots of different theories. On the internet, YouTube videos are talking about how one of the board members was trying to sabotage the company and sell it to a Google-backed uh, company called Anthropic, which has a an AI system called Claude, which just came out with version 2.1 this week. It can... Uh, lie or hallucinate uh, twice as fewer times as before. He can accept 200,000 uh, characters of information as opposed to the 32,000 that ChatGBT4 can do. And so there's a lot of movement to, to be the best. Uh, Microsoft wants to make their own chips. I mean, NVIDIA, who makes these chips and is now a trillion-dollar company, their revenues in the last quarter, Q3 2023, were 205% more than the same time last year. So this AI thing has gone nuts. And uh, ChatGPT, as we know it, is is, is a year old. So Sam Altman spent four days in exile. And uh, there was also concern that, uh, I mean, Sam Altman himself earlier this month was telling a, uh, a, a, um, a, a large conference in San Francisco. He says, four times now in the history of OpenAI, the most recent time was just in the last couple of weeks, he says, I've gotten to be in the room when the we sort of pushed the veil of ignorance back and the frontier of discovery forward. In getting to do that is the professional honor of a lifetime. And there was a report that there was a new system called QSTAR, a project called QSTAR that uh, ChatGPT has been working on, OpenAI has been working on, and it is able to solve a very simple mathematical problem. Now, you might wonder why is that so important? Apparently, writing text and making it sound plausible is, is one thing, but the, to get a math problem correct, I mean, there's only one correct answer, and this is a signpost on the, on the uh, journey towards artificial general intelligence. So there's been some... Dishonesty on the board. There's been some um, some jealousy, uh, and you know, seven hundred plus of the OpenAI staff were going to go with Sam Altman over to Microsoft. Seven hundred. Yeah, out of seven hundred and seventy, there was over seven hundred. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it, just incredible. I mean, they they were on Sam's side. They wanted to go with him, and if he was going to wow. go to Microsoft. And he got the job at Microsoft. But look, there have been big discussions. It's better for Sam to stay at OpenAI than it is for him to come and ruffle feathers of other people at Microsoft who are doing work on AI. I mean, he'd, he'd be the star. He'd be getting all the resources. So, look, the journey is not – the story's not yet over, um, but uh, he's back, and that's sort of calmed a few, you know, heads, and we'll see what happens. But for the time being, uh, the, uh, the crisis is temporarily over. I remember once, and I'm not in the league anywhere in the league of this bloke, but I remember at 2GB when I was rating 13% and leading the pack at that mm. time of the day, and I think the number's now 6%, but when it was 13%, I remember they wanted to shift me, right, put me on some lesser shift, and I you know, kicked and screamed and, and took my payout and walked. And then within one month, new management walked in and got me back and put me on another <laughs> part of this. And I, I had to laugh like it was a real belly laugh to see that happen. And I'm sure he's doing that and more. Talking about radio in Australia, it's 100 years old today. 
Yes, the first station was 100 years ago. 2SB was the precursor to the ABC, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. And uh, within a year, there were radio stations all across uh, all, in all the capital cities in Australia. It wasn't until 19, the 1950s that radios went portable. And it actually wasn't until 1967 that you could have talkback because before then it was illegal to broadcast a telephone conversation. So talkback radio was once illegal. Right. <laughs> now, of course, it's the mainstay of most <laughs> of the AM. But uh, look, according to ACMA, the Australian Consumer and Media Authority, uh, the use of music streaming services continue to rise in 2022. I mean, look, if, if you do a search on the internet, radio itself is not dead. People still use it. If there's natural disasters, it's still important to have it, just like we still need to have cash if the internet goes down. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and, and but radio ownership is decreasing and listening to the radio via the internet or an app has increased to 14% from uh, uh, 10% in 2021. And, um, you know, just That's people interesting. are more- you, so, you see, if you define growth, as something that tells you is a precursor to the future. You'd have to look at something, and I would say this because I'm now with this particular network, but growth is important here. I know we've had enormous growth because we've simply gone video in the last couple of days. I'm seeing a whole heap of new uh, callers and also users and those on the chat lines, et cetera. And so this is growing. We, we keep knowing that uh, our, our podcasts, for instance, are increasing uh exponentially but but the likes of standard radio that you tune into on your radio receiver that's plateaued hasn't it it has and it is it is dying i mean part of the problem with traditional broadcast radio and and the majority of listenership according to the stats is in the car so the problem is you know you you don't listen to the beginning of the show all the way to the end you tune in you tune out you miss something you go under a bridge you hear the static. I mean, a lot of people use streaming and they listen to podcasts because they can start it. They can start and stop whenever they want to. Uninterrupted. Also, uninterrupted. But also, if you're like, if I'm listening to you in the car, I can take my phone with me when I go into the petrol station to pay for the gas. Put my AirPod on. I can keep listening. In the old days, I would have turned the car off and I would have would have missed out. So it's much more convenient to have your radio in your phone, streaming, yeah. whether it, yeah. you're listening, whether you're watching, you've yeah. got it with you. And if you've missed something, you've got the podcast. Best yeah. of both worlds. Exactly. I've got to let you go. I've got to move on. Thank you, Alex. Much appreciated. Thank you for that extra ordinary report today. Wonderful. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Good on you, mate. Thank you, Alex Zaharoff-Royt from techadvice.live. Good to have him on. I've got to tell you about Jeffrey Holt. You've got to read about Jeffrey Holt. It's a fascinating story. Jeffrey Holt was unassuming, a caretaker of a mobile home park in Hinsdale in New Hampshire, where he lived a simple but curious life. Residents would see him around town in threadbare clothes. He'd be on a lawnmower. That's what he used to ride, a lawnmower. He didn't have a car. He'd head to the convenience store for essentials. Um, he'd pick up a newspaper. He'd just watch cars go by during the day. He did odd jobs, rarely left town. Um, he opted for a bicycle instead of a car. His mobile home in the park was mostly empty of furniture, no furniture, no TV, no computer. The legs of the bed went through the floor. He was seemingly finished. Well, that was until he became a multi-millionaire. And then he gave it away to the community of 4,200 people. Um, he actually owned the town of Hinsdale, would you believe? And so he decided in his will that he would leave the town to the people and they've all cashed in. You've got to look this up. It goes on and on, this story. It's amazing. 
Um, you know, the hobo from Hinsdale turned out to be the salvation of everyone in the town. It's an extraordinary story. Let me tell you the name of the fellow again who's gone down in history, Jeffrey Holt. So Google Jeffrey Holt, New Hampshire, and you'll read the story. Must do. Got a run. I'll leave you in the capable hands of Lembit Opic. We'll come back and do it again at the same time tomorrow. This is Chris Smith on TNT Radio.